0: Welcome to this episode of Group Thinkers. I'm your host Justin McCord and on this episode, excited to welcome Olga Waltman to the program. Olga is the founder principal of Lemon Skies, which is a uh, consultancy for nonprofits, uh, typically small to mid-sized nonprofits. Olga herself, uh, and I get into this on the episode Olga, has spent time both at uh, the American Diabetes Association as well as Special Olympics at their uh, their headquarters the, at the national level. And that's where I first met Olga. I met her uh, walking into a conference room for a pitch presentation some years back and, uh, and so have, have stayed connected and seen uh, her career and that journey, and specifically as as I talk about on the intro or whenever we're first getting going with Olga, particularly just noticed her content, uh, her content on LinkedIn, especially over the, the last year and a half throughout the pandemic, et cetera. And, and, uh, and what I love about what I've seen from Olga is the intention and the purpose in which she puts into her content, both. In support of her business, Lemon guys, but also in sharing uh, what's happening in her life and uh, what's happening with her boys and, uh, and those good things. So um, it's a great discussion. What's so interesting about this discussion, you know, we're in season six of Group Thinkers and we're talking about Gen X and talking about getting younger donors. And, uh, you know, I think that like we've seen From other guests this season, Olga is so perfectly representative of the target demo, right? Of the target donor, Uh, philanthropic minded and engaged in what's happening in the world around her, and has a heart to not only solve those problems, but also to share with those around her, her interests in solving those problems. And those are some things that we learned about uh, Gen X and particularly the younger Gen X in terms of having a more global worldview. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about purpose as it relates to your marketing content. We're going to talk a lot about empathy and uh, it's really a, a delightful conversation. So Uh, I hope you enjoy it as well. So uh, before we get to it, if you haven't checked out the Gen X study put out by RKD Group, please do so. You can go to rkdgroup.com slash gen X. That's where you'll find it. And uh, yeah, you can always drop us a line on our social channels. Find us at RKD Group across all of them. So uh, with that said, and with no further delays, here's Olga Waltman on GroupThinkers. So Olga Waltman, welcome to Group Thinkers. Uh, super excited to have a conversation with you today, and uh, and so welcome. How so? By the way, how are things in the the D.C. area?
1: It is beautiful sunny day out, so no complaints here. Thank you for asking.
0: Awesome. It's a it's this is a wonderful time of year in D.C. After you get past the the sweatiness of August that. You can sometimes have um in in the city so olga i i'm really excited about this conversation for a couple of reasons i was reflecting uh on the first time that we met which was in a conference room uh and it was part of an rfp presentation and uh and so you know i remember uh you know at that time hearing you and hearing your team talk about the way that you had orchestrated and grown a digital program, and being exceptionally impressed at uh, at the vastness of the program, but also how advanced that you and your team had taken it internally at at that point, and that was some seven years ago. So you know, uh, seven years is um, is l- multiple lifetimes in the digital marketing landscape, and uh, and so but even from then i was i was rather impressed uh in in your ability to both command and control and help inspire growth amongst a program and so have kind of followed your path a little bit from the outside looking in as you've uh as you've gone through a couple different stops and uh and then you know i Shared with you that one of the things that brought me to this conversation and, and wanting to have you on the program was um, the content that you've been posting on LinkedIn, especially over the course of last year, has really just caught my eye and my attention. And I think it fits in so um, wonderfully into a conversation that we're going to have today about purpose. And so um, that is my long and, and winding way of of getting to kind of our, just the place I want to start today and that's having you share your journey into the nonprofit space and then from that first stop uh, along the way to you know currently what what you're doing with Lemon Skies just share with us um how you got here
1: thank you Justin I'm blushing a little bit at that introduction uh, so speaking of long and windy uh so my path into nonprofit space was definitely long and windy Uh, Some people know exactly what they want to do when they grow up. I was never one of those people. Um, I came to Washington, D.C. to spend a semester here uh, when I was an undergrad, and I just really loved the city. I loved how accessible it was. I loved the metro system. So after I graduated, I packed a couple suitcases and moved out here. Uh, I didn't immediately end up in nonprofit space. I actually. I don't know if I should tell you this story, but um, I interviewed at the CIA for uh, clandestine services. Um, I figure it's been long enough that I can probably talk about this. And I actually went to an interview, but I don't remember much of it, which concerns me slightly, um, (laughs) why I have no recollection of it. But I just remember walking in and everyone was very serious and very kind of buttoned up and uh, very straight faced. So um, I sort of knew it wasn't the place for me. And Took it no further and then ended up getting a job at a foundation. And uh lo and behold, one thing led to another. Eventually ended up at Special Olympics, where I spent a good bit, bit of my time and then went on to American diabetes. And then decided to uh to hang my own shingle, as the saying goes, and consult and work with different nonprofits. Um, it was partially professional decision, but partially family personal decision. So uh so that's kind of where I ended up here and Uh, Didn't really jump before I really thought much about it, but uh, looking back, no regrets.
0: Uh, That's officially the first time we've had anyone share that particular path. Now, the funny thing is, uh, across, golly, Ronnie, we've got to be close to 50 conversations now. And every, every conversation into the nonprofit space has some sort of combination of long and windy, And some sort of like happenstance, uh, some sort of moment of clarity or calling that just kind of sparks that. Yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? You you find yourself there, but um, there's also something that that seems to trigger that. And so um, perhaps it was, you know, part of your your interview for clandestine services that that helped trigger that. Um, So uh, as I mentioned the one of the reasons why um i thought it'd be awesome to have you be a part of our show and be a part of this conversation is uh because of your linkedin content and uh as i was sharing with you uh while we weren't recording i see a blend of professional and personal that comes together in your linkedin content and i I find it to be refreshing but also um, very purpose driven, and that's kind of the theme or, or one of the prevailing topics of, of our conversation today is purpose driven, because of the role of purpose, particularly among Gen Xers in their support of uh, of nonprofits. And so, you know, the the rationale behind this is, you know, we've we've got the study that we put out, and so we're exploring these different topics around uh, Gen Xers and their emergence as a, a Viable group to connect with nonprofits, and it's very well seen in what you talk about on LinkedIn. And so, if you would just, I don't know, take a moment and talk to us about the the thought process and uh, and your own content strategy, particularly with Lemon Skies, your consultancy, uh, and how that plays into what you put on LinkedIn and why.
1: Thank you for asking that question, Justin. So. Um... So LinkedIn, it's definitely um, a reflection of things I think about and things that that I care about. Um, I work and live in a very integrated way. Um, It's really sort of, there's no delineation between uh, where personal ends and professional begins and vice versa, Um, which is, you know, it's really a privileged way to to be able to do that. Um, I'm involved in my community. It's really important to me. Um, And, you know, I have the freedom to think that way, which is really kind of rewarding and wonderful in and of itself. Um, I tend to absorb a lot of information around me, so whether it's from reading books, whether it's from uh, conversations with friends or with um, conversations with uh, clients. Um, And, you know, anything that I put out on LinkedIn is really a reflection uh, of things I care about and things that I want to talk about. If anything doesn't feel Real or authentic, you know. I, I just don't even go there. So if it feels too contrived, I, I just shy away from that. So, so yeah. And and I think you know, one quick example. Some of it is really um, just paying attention. Um, I, I was buying chocolate. It was um, sea salt and caramel, and it was one of those um, one of those uh, companies that gives portion of proceeds to to different types of charities. And then on the back of the wrapper, lo and behold, I start reading about. Uh, the charities that they support—I've never heard of them. Uh, the Peregrine Fund, which is you know, birds of prey, and uh, the Gorilla Fund. So organizations that do wonderful work. So once you start seeing these things and paying attention, so obviously I had to look them up. Obviously I had to go down the rabbit hole and and investigate more. So and that's really kind of how my content originates. It's just really things that spark my attention, spark joy. Uh, but it's also I was. Reflecting on this, it isn't entirely altruistic either, because when you're talking about things that are purposeful and uh, community involvement or nonprofit involvement, um, you really start looking outside of yourself, uh, and it really helps you be more content and appreciate what you have and appreciate where you are. Um, so you know you're kind of benefiting in the process.
0: Uh, it's extremely well said. I do believe. I agree with you completely. And I believe that when anyone turns their eyes or opens their eyes towards the opportunities to help, they will see more opportunities to help. That's right. There there is a little bit of like cognitive bias that almost kicks in that the first time in which you see something and you, you know, give in to supporting something, then all of a sudden you see other areas around you. And, and so that's a part of, you know, uh, definitely a part of purpose and a connection to philanthropy. I love the something that you said, which is that you live your life in a very integrated way. And I think where we've seen tension with the reverse is. You know, you can think about the memes from, you know, a handful of years ago to where you would have the same person's profile photo across multiple different social platforms. And it being a different photo, right, to represent your right that that it's a different place that LinkedIn is reserved for business only or Facebook is reserved for different aspects than Instagram versus Twitter or whatever the different platform mix may be. and. And I guess what I'm struck by when you say that you live in a very integrated way is that that is what we have been advising and uh, and helping nonprofits try to get towards, especially over the last you know five or seven years, is a march towards more integration, and that has been somewhat accelerated over the last year and a half. Uh, that. that nonprofits have to, they have to market in an integrated way, in the same way that you're talking about living in an integrated way, right? Um, So because of your experience with Special Olympics and, you know, ADA, uh, and even with the nonprofits that you consult with now, why is that so hard?
1: I mean, I think some of it is a deliberate choice. Um, I think when you work for yourself as I do, you, you're more deliberate in how you approach things and you're, you have the freedom to do it. So, um, I, you know, I don't think everyone who, who would benefit from it or would enjoy that has the ability or opportunity to do that. Um, but, you know, I sort of came to a conscious decision at some point. I couldn't delineate, here's my work life and here's my personal life, because inevitably I get a phone call, true story, I had to deliver a cello that was forgotten at home. You know, so I really just can't um, kind of draw a line of work hours. And, you know, I will be checking email or I might be working on the weekend. Uh, but in the middle of the day, I might be delivering a string instrument uh, to to elementary school. So, you know, it's just sort of instead of fighting it and trying to, to sort of protect um, personal time and kind of draw the boundaries, I just sort of came to a conclusion as long as I make it work on uh, both sides of the equation, um, it just kind of made it easier and it took the pressure off.
0: I completely agree. I think about the number of times that I get the text and need to bring the the lunch up to the yep. middle school, right? Like it's, yep. um, it, it happens, it happens frequently or whatever it may be, right. That blends together, uh, the, your, your professional life and your personal life. Um, when you think about the element of purpose and, how that plays into the conversations that you have with the nonprofits that you work with how do you advise them to have more purpose or as you said a moment ago authenticity in their content strategy how do you how do you be more authentic while still being a savvy marketer which sounds at times like you're being less authentic and more buzzy around scaling like how do you How do you um, balance those two?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I don't think there's a formula per se, but uh, but I think uh, I see nonprofits as a conduit to uh, for people to make a difference, for people to channel their values. So I think it's about connecting those values. Um, It's not about, you know, we talk about the buzzword is donor centric, but I think that donor centric, that constituent centric has to come in to everything a nonprofit does. It is there to help achieve a certain mission, a certain purpose. Um, and when you stop thinking about yourself as an entity and start thinking about why you are there in the first place, um, I think that really does help. And in actual work, it's easier said than done. So the, I think some of this just tuning out the voices and really just zooming in on what is the most important thing. And you can always add more detail, but just not losing sight of that uh, most important kernel.
2: Olga, in our in our research, you know, Justin talked about the, the research we did on Gen X donors. And um one of the one of the kind of neat things that we found in that research was that Gen X is really two generations kind of combined into one. Uh, you know, there was this, this digital divide that coincided with the rise of the internet and formed these two distinct groups of older Gen Xers who were born 1965 to 1973. And then, you know, they kind of reached adulthood in an analog world. And then you had this younger group of Gen Xers that was born in 1974 to 1983. And, you know, their their childhood and their adolescence growing up was shaped by, you know, the rise of home computers and the Internet. And we see kind of in some of the responses in the study how this this, this you know rise of the internet and how they grew up is reflected in their worldview and, and their purpose kind of to drive it back to our conversation. Um, you know the older Gen Xers we, we call you know they're known as the latchkey kids. They're fiercely independent and but they also we found kind of crave a sense of belonging and they support local causes, their churches, their you know food banks, local hospitals, and things like that. In the study, we call them the hometown heroes. And uh, and then you younger Gen Xers, because they grew up with the Internet, they kind of have a more of a global view of things. Um, They support bigger global causes like environmental animal welfare, uh, you know, at a global sense. And we kind of call them the naturalists. So thinking about all that. You know, as as so many nonprofits are trying to reach younger donors and in particular Gen Xers, does understanding kind of their background and their purpose for giving, does that drive some of your strategy and how you approach connecting with them?
1: You know, I was thinking about that and I'm not sure that how we think or what we care about uh, has been changed by the Internet. I tend to think that Internet facilitates access. So I think you're more exposed to more different things, like uh, I mentioned the Peregrine Fund, right? Um, it, it's just a question of access. And I think we tend to focus on whatever is current, whatever is visible. Um, I mean, I hate to call them trendy, but we tend to give to issues and causes in response to something that we're seeing. And I'm not talking about the emergency relief, necessarily, but, but just generally speaking. Um, you know, Local giving, without the internet, that's what you saw. Uh, with the internet, suddenly the world is your oyster. So I think it's uh, it's less about values. I think it's more about exposure. And that's where uh, marketers like us come in and making sure that uh, causes that we care about and work for um, are getting the spotlight they deserve. Uh, I will say the topic does have me a little bit conflicted because I I live in a very tight-knit community and it's it, it's a little bit um, old school, uh, with the main street. And, you know, there, there's definitely that sense of, uh, being in a neighborhood, uh, where you walk in a coffee shop and they know your name. Uh, it's wonderful. So I I do really value local involvement and I do wonder if we're losing some of that. Um, and and that could be potentially detrimental with kind of the bigger developments, uh, bigger communities that are, they're sort of very artificially built. Um, I do think, I do believe something is lost in that.
0: You know, that that makes me think of uh, a study by our friend Josh McQueen. This is six, seven years ago where where he shared with us that uh, the the younger the donor, the more causes that they give to. And you can look at that in a couple of different ways. One is um, you can think that they're more philanthropic. Or you can think that they're less loyal, right? Because right. The, they've diversified right. uh, the that which they're supporting. And you know, uh, I was there's a there's a great little pizza joint, like I don't know, maybe a third of a mile from from my house. And uh, I've gotten to know the owner over uh, a ten or twelve year period, um, and and he and I were chatting actually a week ago today um and and he said, you know I know that I'm a dying breed and and I also know that people say they love to support local but they're also you know the line forms around chick-fil-A around the entire building at 8 a.m so like you know so so there's this tension of, uh, that sort of consistency versus, you know, the the kind of the small niche local things uh, uh, of what you're getting in terms of an experience. And I do think that as a marketer, it does matter. I think it matters to understand where people are coming from. I, I wrestle with what it means to be able to scale personalization mm-hmm. because you have to know people on an aggregate level in a way in which you can still speak to them. Right. Um, but also as an individual, I you know I I, um, I, covet the ideas of being able to leverage purpose in the decisions that I make, and especially the role that the internet has uh, played in my own life of, as you said, expanding my worldview, even into how I relate to my kids. and And Olga, we had a great conversation about that, about you know how worldview and purpose and the how, as Gen Xers, that plays into the way that we parent. That's
1: right. Yeah, I mean, the the kids, they're watching. I mean, it's it's one thing what you say and what you do. Um, I think it's that way with fitness. You know, you can tell your child to go and exercise or you can show it and model it um, as appropriate behavior. And I think uh, being philanthropic, being involved in community and how we treat um, we treat others. Um, I think it works the same way and having those conversations, not just about, um, not approaching it from the standpoint of sympathy, uh, but to really give them appreciation and, you know, just reiterate to them, you know, it's not because somebody, you know, has done something wrong or deserves something, you know, there is a certain degree of luck that plays a role here. Um, you know, the Gen X, I was really thinking about that, um, you know, and I, I sort of very barely identify with that as a topic, uh, as as a generational thing. I sort of uh, sidestepped uh, the cultural references because I came to America, and we said America, not United States, as a teenager. So um, a lot of the cultural references are really uh, not super familiar to me. So I don't necessarily lump myself with that, you know, kind of umbrella uh, Gen X definition. But, uh, but you know, I... You know, sense of purpose. You really, our conversation got me thinking a lot. And I used to be somewhat embarrassed that I feel things very deeply, and just really, um, you know, when I read certain articles or see something, it really, it really gets under my skin. It really, um, it really affects me. Um, but being purposeful is sort of a way to take some control back. And if I'm doing something positive, um, it, it sort of prevents you from wanting to just. You know, there's climate change, and there's all these horrible things that are happening on the news. And when you're doing something positive, you don't want to just go curl into a ball. You feel like you're actually, you know, moving the needle and and doing doing your part. But, but yeah, and you and I talked a, uh, quite a bit about the the kids and how to get next generation involved in philanthropic giving.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting, Ronnie. We were sharing um, that we. Olga and I both have had a similar experience where we we stumbled into an experiment. And I don't know if this is being twisted marketers in our brains or uh, or possibly brilliant parents or neither of the two. Um, But, you know, it was the idea of uh, giving our children some some money to make a donation and just telling them you choose you choose the causes like do your research Find out what matters to you, and then let's support it. And it, it's a way of helping them think uh, intentionally uh, about trying to solve a problem. And it, it's a really interesting experiment. It's really interesting to see how that plays out. And and obviously, oh, as you're saying, it's something that if you model it as a parent, then you can see the the some of the fruit of that coming out in. In your kids, share a little bit about your experience in doing that.
1: Yes, and uh, we talked about, Justin, we can, we're, we are going to make it a thing this year, get to contribute for, uh, we'll, we'll mobilize other parents to, to encourage their children to contribute on Giving Tuesday. Um, so I told my kids, so I've got two kids, two boys, and I told them that they could each choose a charity on Giving Tuesday they would like to contribute to. and. They would get to choose what topic, what, um, what concerns them, what they care about, and actually find the charity. Um, so the way it played out, um, they came pretty immediately, uh, the older one pretty immediately said that he wanted to support animals uh, in an animal shelter. And uh, with very little, um, you know, it really didn't take him very long to, to find the local shelter. And he just sort of decided that was that was a good option for him. Um, And, you know, I kept, I'm like, well, don't you want to research more? And he was kind of very practical about it, which is, you know, just who he is. He was like, nope, I, this is, this is what I want to do. Uh, I'm good. And partially it was, you know, he felt like he found what he wanted. Partially he was all about efficiency in that moment. He was not going to, to go search the universe for other causes. He found something that he felt was good enough in this, um, in this instance. And then his brother did the exact same thing uh, for the sole reason that his older brother chose that charity. So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So it was sort of um, eye-opening um, in a way I really sort of hoped they would search far and wide, and they didn't. But it was their prerogative not to do that. So we'll we'll try it again this year and, uh, and see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's uh, a, a couple of marketing lessons that I hear coming from that. One is that there are plenty of times to where donors make a decision out of spontaneity yep, and that's it. There doesn't have to be a deep rooted reason outside of, no, this is, this is the cause that I'm going to support. So that's one thing that comes to mind. The second is um, social pressure. So, you know, that your younger one felt social pressure because of what big brother had selected. And so ended up choosing something similar. And so, you know, you think about the brilliance uh, within fa- how Facebook has organized, you know, Facebook fundraisers to be able to see what friends may have supported that okay. campaign or that fundraiser it creates that social pressure. Um, you know, my experience was uh, was similar in that, you know, we did this uh, on December 31st. And, and I told him, I said, look, same thing. Um, I want you to choose something that you want to support and uh, and and I, I don't so my my children didn't they didn't research like I thought that they would um they drew immediately off of personal experiences right so they drew off of uh, my my dad's journey with prostate cancer to wanting to support an organization that does cancer research It yeah. drew off of my son's, uh, and our family, um, through spending time in New Orleans, they, uh, we have had some um, incredible moments interacting with uh, the homeless in New Orleans, and, uh, and that has sparked an interest in helping the homeless. And so my ch- my son chose the New Orleans Rescue Mission and an organization called Street Soccer, which creates and does soccer tournaments for homeless. And so it's drawing off of his own life experiences and interests to find something to support. And again, I think there are marketing lessons in there as well that, you know, there are times where spontaneity plays into it, certainly social pressure, but then also background information can give you context on how you got to, to that place. Um, and you're right. We are going to we're going to figure out and make that some sort of a movement uh, for for parents. So, Ronnie, you're up because I know you got little ones as well.
2: Uh, so get ready. I, well, I know I, I'll jump in and say like we. We take out 10% of their allowance uh, every week. And we have this app that we use uh, called Rooster Money. And it automatically sets aside 10%. And we put that into like a, a cause to donate to. And we kind of do the same thing where at the end of the year, we we talk to them about, you know, what do you want to donate to? And and kind of similar causes. Our, our older one's really concerned about the environment, like is really passionate about it. Um, and then our younger ones really concerned, like really into animals and taking care of animals. So that, so those are the, the causes that they're drawn to. Uh, but I think as a parent, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see just, you know, we know how much kids are influenced by parents, but, but you can, how much you can influence behavior and, and set an example and, and almost set the expectation that this is, you know, this is just what you do, you know, is you should give back to your community.
1: Yeah, and I think that my marketing lesson in all of this, um, I should have started a conversation earlier. So, you know, like a fundraiser who kind of hits you up on Giving Tuesday but really doesn't bother to spend a whole lot of time um, cultivating and stewarding you. So I think my marketing lesson is to to back out and kind of start those conversations a few weeks out uh, so that they have time to deliberate on that. So
0: Great marketing lesson. Great marketing lesson. Earlier, sure. Olga, you mentioned... Uh, the, you know, you mentioned sympathy being a part of it, but um, there there's also the aspect of empathy. And I think this does play into the uh, some of the specific strategic consulting that you're doing with your clients right now. Talk a little bit about how uh, how empathy plays a role in content strategy or in marketing strategy uh, that can help drive better engagement, especially among younger donors?
1: Yeah. So empathy, you know, that's widely misunderstood as a subject. I think sometimes empathy is confused with feeling sorry or, you know, compassion, which is valuable, but in a completely different way. And empathy is more about somebody else's point of view. It's about being able to see the world through somebody else's lens. Um, so, and empathy, um, you know, I think I've always known this, but it took me probably a couple of years to articulate it in such a way. Um, empathy is the core value of Lemon Skies. Like that, that is probably the most important uh, one that I see for the work I do. And it applies to in, at a couple of different levels, both in how we talk about the subject matter, um, how we approach causes and missions. Uh, it's sort of thinking from perspective of who's being helped. It's thinking from the perspective of the audience and why they care about the particular. Uh, a particular issue because we're not just RFM analysis, right? We're all humans, we're parents, we're um, siblings, we're um, athletes, you know, whatever those definitions may be that you apply to yourself. Um, and it's really looking at how we talk about our subject matter through that lens. Um, but it's also, it also comes in in how I work with clients. Um, I could probably present you with 20 different options that are best practices in our industry, but if you don't have resources to implement it, it really does you no good. I'm sort of looking at, well, here's all the things you can't do. And, you know, you probably can go walk away and feel terrible that you're not able to do them. So it's really um, flipping flipping how you think about it. And I really try to give my clients advice. If I was sitting in at your side of the table, if I was in your shoes, what would what would decisions would I make? What would I actually uh, do? And, and that's really sort of that filter. Uh, through which I look at everything, um, rather than kind of applying universal definitions. So, so yeah, I mean, I think empathy, just starting with the conversation, and yeah, you know, I, I think pandemic really brought the concept of empathy into focus. But it's still, um, you know, and if you scroll, you you talked about LinkedIn. If you sc- if you scroll through LinkedIn, there's a lot of very intelligent people willfully misunderstanding empathy as feeling sorry for somebody, and. That is absolutely not the case. It's about point of view and seeing it through the lens.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I do think, I think it's a good thing that uh, the last 18 months have shown a light on empathy. It it has become one of the most important things that we do, being empathetic, in how we relate to our neighbors, and how we relate to our colleagues, and how we relate to our friends, our family, and certainly uh, how in our similar shoes and being like on the consultant side, how you relate to clients, but also really, really important for the voice, whatever whatever the voices of the nonprofit to be able to Be empathetic and to create empathy in communication, which kind of goes back to authenticity, as you shared earlier. Like you have to be authentic and empathetic to best connect with donors that are looking for ways to solve problems, but maybe not know the best way to do it um yeah it's really interesting to to uh to think through how we misunderstand or misapply empathy at times
1: yeah and there's no shortcuts i mean you have to feel all the feels to produce content and to produce strategy that really conveys that because otherwise you're just sort of patching bits and pieces together and there's you know it's just sort of false flag yeah
0: so um man that's that's a good reminder for all of this it's a sobering reminder that um the the role that it plays in creating point of view. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, as, as we kind of round out our conversation today, uh, you know, I'm I'm just curious, like what's what's next for Lemon Skies? What can we be on the lookout for? Uh, you know, we we fully anticipate thousands of followers for you on LinkedIn as a part of you know. Uh, this maybe not thousands, but um, but w- because we're paying attention, what what's next? Like what what do you have on uh, on your roadmap for Lemon Skies over the next six to twelve months?
1: Yeah, so I mean, kind of the immediate milestones ahead. Obviously, um, end of year, fourth quarter for for a number of clients. Uh, w- Some of our clients uh, we help on comms side some clients we work on fundraising side so uh so that's um both a marathon and the sprint uh spurts spurts of it uh so we're excited about that but you know just continuing with the work we're doing and um especially with the health related social good related organizations uh that tends to be um kind of a sweet spot and when you work with mid-sized organizations um I, i sort of love them for it you really can move the needle so it's incredibly rewarding. Uh, but since we're sort of living and uh, working in the very integrated way, um, you know, continuing involvement in the community, Lemon Skies. is I don't want to wait, uh, some companies sort of wait to mature to start getting involved in the community. Um, so I don't want to do that. And I'm sponsoring a local, um, a local turkey trot uh, that everybody participates in. So excited to do that in November, uh, and then planning some, um, some fun things for, uh, end of year giving for, for ourselves to, to engage ourselves in giving, um, with the kids.
0: That's awesome. Olga, we, uh, we really appreciate your time and your perspective. Um, thank you for sharing the, the role that empathy plays and how purpose plays into your business strategy and your, uh, your, your, personal life I you know Ronnie and I were talking that you know what's so interesting about you as a guest is that you're uh you know you fit into some of this Gen X conversation as a donor but also as a professional and so I love that you live it out in an integrated way thanks for for sharing your journey with us and having a chat today
1: thank you for having me
0: All right. Thanks for checking out the uh, the interview and discussion with Olga. Uh, I I warned you at the top that purpose and empathy would become a part of it. And it sure did. Right. I mean, it's it's um, I think it's important for us as marketers to consider what role empathy plays in the messages that we're creating the way in which we're fashioning our stories and telling those stories, and so thankful for the opportunity to have that discussion with Olga. You can uh, you can find Olga on uh, LinkedIn. That's one of the the ways in which she's extremely active, and so I encourage you to connect with her there. And uh, yeah, follow along. Uh, special thanks to Ronnie for for sitting in and being part of this, and in uh, every episode this season as well. And, uh, yeah, for more great content about what's happening in the nonprofit marketing space, be sure to check out rkdgroup.com. Uh, so with that, we'll, um, we'll patch up this episode, move along. So we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. See you down the road. Group thinkers is a production of RKD group. For more information, visit slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also, a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers, Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.